Okay, today uh, we are finishing our series, Kingdom Prayer, uh, and the title of the sermon is The Practice of Corporate Prayer. Okay, the practice of corporate prayer, and the scripture comes from 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Uh, Let me read that for you. Hear now God's word. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen. Uh, So, over the past few weeks, we've been learning a lot about this thing called corporate prayer, right? And again, just to clarify, corporate doesn't mean like Wall Street or or business, okay? Corporate comes from the Latin word corpus, which means body, okay? So, this is prayers of the body. Uh, So, basically, we've been looking at what it means to be a community that prays together as a body. In one of, the, uh, most, one of his most passionate uh, moments in the Gospels, Jesus declares this. He says, my house will be a house of prayer. Okay, the church is supposed to be a house of prayer, according to Jesus. And, and by calling it that, By calling it a house of of prayer, what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, if you go to a church, if you go to a place where my people have gathered, one of the primary things you should see them doing is coming together to pray, because my house is a house of prayer. So, a house united in prayer, that's one of the key images we're supposed to have in our heads when we think about the church. Okay, in fact, that image, that vision, okay, that vision of a house of prayer, Jesus gives it to us because it's supposed to serve as a blueprint for the church, which means if the church does not resemble a house of prayer, okay, if a church does not resemble a house of prayer, it is not being built to code according to Jesus. It is not being built to kingdom standards. So corporate prayer, okay, according to the blueprint that Jesus gives us, is supposed to be an integral part of any church being built in his name. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he says in one of his books, he says, it is in fact the most normal thing in the common Christian life to pray together. In other words, corporate prayer is to be the norm in the life of of the church. So, I, like I said last, uh, last week, or actually the past few weeks, um, we've been exploring corporate prayer. Uh, we looked at why it's necessary the first week, uh, we looked at the biblical basis for it, uh, and we looked at the power of corporate prayer. Today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing on the practice, okay, the practice of corporate prayer. Now, the reality is, uh, all throughout the sermons that we've been giving, uh, we've actually touched on a number of different elements regarding the practice of corporate prayer, okay? Uh, We talked about how we encourage one another through corporate prayer. We talked about uh, how we disciple uh, one another to pray for kingdom things through corporate prayer, right? Uh, We mentioned the laying on of hands. Uh, We talked about uh, the connection and the care that happens uh, when we pray with and for one another, okay? And so, just by listening to the sermons that we've been giving, uh, you've probably been able to piece together 
what corporate prayer generally looks like. Okay? I mean, it's not rocket science, right? Corporate prayer equals praying together. <laughs> That's all it is. Uh, and the rest is just helpful advice on, on how to do that well. Today, to tie off the series, uh, I'm just going to mention a couple more things that we need to keep in mind as we practice corporate prayer as a church. And hopefully, uh, at the end, you'll have a better grasp of corporate prayer uh, and you'll commit to engaging in it with the rest of us. Okay, that's the hope. Okay, so the first thing I want to mention is something that we are all very familiar with. Okay, so. About halfway through the pandemic, uh, I had my, my midlife crisis. Um, it's, I'm 45 years old, uh, so it's right about time to have one. Uh, and so what I did was I bought a kayak uh, because I couldn't afford to buy what I really wanted, okay, which was a Subaru WRX STI, right? It's a great car, a rally car, right? In red. Or a yacht. Um, if I had a lot of money, I would definitely buy one of those two, or probably both, uh, but I don't have that kind of money because I am a pastor, <laughs> and I will never have that kind of money, okay? So I bought a kayak, uh, and it's an inflatable kayak because I can't fit, I don't have a garage. Uh, now, naturally, um, after I bought the kayak, uh, I watched some YouTube videos, right, uh, to, to learn uh, about how to use it, right, how to get in and out of the kayak without flipping it over, right? How not to drown, right? Uh, what, to you know, what the experience is like in a kayak. You know, I watched all these YouTube videos about that stuff. Now, as great and as informative as those YouTube videos were, I mean, some YouTube videos are amazing, right? As great and as, and as informative as those YouTube videos were, it's only when I actually got into the kayak and started rowing that I began to really understand what kayaking was like and what it was about. It's only when I started working the kayak through the water with my own body, it's only then that I started learning things and grasping things about kayaking that I couldn't have learned otherwise, even from YouTube videos. Like, like the feel of the kayak as it glides through the water. Right? No matter how many YouTube videos you watch, you can't really know what that's like until you do it, or how, you, or how to sit in the kayak, okay? and which muscles to use uh, when you're paddling so you don't get exhausted too quickly, and your back doesn't hurt. I mean, I knew some of that information uh, in theory, but it's only when I started executing it, okay? and I started getting the feel for it, okay? it's only then that I understood in my body, in my body, okay, why they would recommend sitting a certain way and, and rowing a certain way. And it's, in fact, it's only at that point that I could start making adjustments to fit me. Because each person in each body is a little bit different. Okay, I had to figure all of that out on my own through firsthand experience. And there's other things like the resistance of the water that you're going to experience depending on the current and your momentum. Right? The amount of force you need to put into different strokes to turn the kayak a certain amount. Okay? And the fact that the wind, even a light breeze, has a dramatic impact on how hard it is to paddle and how quickly you slow down. You know, I, was, I, I always thought, like, kayak is so small, wind has no effect. I thought you needed a sail to really have an effect uh, by the wind. 
But even that small, tiny vessel, just a light breeze, will, will dramatically slow down your kayak. The only way you can truly understand the stuff that I mentioned is by actually kayaking through first-hand experience, not through videos. I think probably um, the most eye-opening moment uh, was when I took Rala, my wife, with me on the kayak. It was a tandem kayak. It's a tandem kayak, so you, know, you can fit two people. Uh, not quite a yacht, but closer <laughs> and not as expensive. Anyway, so we were kayaking on this lake, uh, and we were fishing at the same time. You, you can actually do that. Uh, and we got to a part of the lake where there was just a ton of seaweed under the surface of the water. We didn't know because it was under the surface of the water, but we got to the place and we're like, oh my God, there's all this seaweed. Uh, and so, you know, because there was a lot of seaweed, our hooks just kept getting caught, which is terrible for fishing. Uh, so we decided, after a lot of frustration, uh, we decided to go to another part of the lake, okay, which, by the way, was, is a really big lake, Lake Sebago in, in the Seven Lakes area, really big. Now, up to this point in our little adventure, uh, even though we had two paddles in the kayak, I was the only one who had been paddling. Right? I just wanted my wife to rest and have a good time. She's studying and stressed out and all that stuff. So I said, hey, honey, you don't need to paddle. Uh, unfortunately, it started getting late, uh, and we didn't have much time left before we had to leave, uh, and the other side of the lake was really far. Okay, so I asked my wife to start paddling with me so, so we can save a little bit of time. Uh, and she had no problem doing that. Okay? She has no problem doing that because she's actually pretty strong. Okay? If you meet her, she looks puny and really weak, but she's actually very strong. She kicked me once when we were dating, and I fell. I was like, kick me as hard as you can. That's, she's a second-degree black belt. It was terrible. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so you know, she's strong, and so, and so we start paddling. Uh, as we're paddling, both of us together, we start getting in sync. As we get more in sync, we start pushing harder and harder on the paddles. And I didn't know this about kayaking until that moment, but these things can go really fast, right? And we started going faster and then faster. And at one point, we could feel, like, and we can hear the wind just rushing past our ears as we were tearing through that water. I felt like we were competing in the Olympics. I actually said that out loud to her. I was like, we're in the Olympics, honey, this is great, right? So it was, it was crazy. It was so much fun. That feeling of flying through the water on this beautiful lake on literally a perfect day with my amazing wife, that was pretty awesome to experience. And no YouTube video could have explained that experience to me in a way that could even come close to matching what it was actually like firsthand. Okay, nothing and life can substitute for first-hand experience. And the same is true for corporate prayer. These past few sermons, Pastor Bobe and I, we've tried to explain to you through our words why corporate prayer is so important and uh, why it's so powerful. And we shared some powerful stories about it, okay? But unless you come out and actually do it, you're never going to understand truly what corporate prayer is how it feels, uh, its rhythms, what it does to you and to your heart and to your community. You can learn about corporate prayer through reading about it and through sermons, okay? But you're never going to know it through those things. You know, someone recently told me that uh, Lucali's Pizza, I think that's how you say it, right? Lucali's Pizza, very, very famous in Brooklyn, 
one person recently told me, I think just a couple weeks ago, that Lucali's Pizza in Brooklyn is hands down the best pizza around. Okay, he, he shared with me, it just tastes incredible. But here's the thing, no matter how much he describes what it tastes like to me, I will never actually know the taste of that pizza until I experience eating it for myself. Okay, and I will do that in the near future. I think as a pizza lover, it's a sin that I have not had that yet. So I'm going to repent and eat it. Okay, in Psalm 34, uh, it says this, very famous verse, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, those people who think that Christianity is primarily a cerebral kind of affair, they don't understand our faith at all. Psalm 34 uses experiential language, taste and see, because experiencing God is critical to our getting to know Him. And as we've been talking about this entire month, one of the most important ways you experience God is through corporate prayer. Like I mentioned in my last sermon, there are treasures in corporate prayer that, can own, that cannot be had any other way. The only way you're going to get to know those things, those treasures that are to be had in corporate prayer, is if you come out and pray with your brothers and sisters. You know, just this past Saturday, yesterday, we had a leaders meeting, uh, and we shared, we were reflecting on 2021. 2021 was hard as a church, and just in general, right? And we're praying, we're sharing, and we're like, you know, Despite how hard it is, we know that God is always faithful, and we were looking for, you know, God's faithfulness throughout the year, and we got to a point at the end of the meeting where we prayed for about 20 minutes, and we prayed giving thanks to God together, collectively giving thanks to God for what He provided for us in 2021, and let me tell you something, as we were praying, it was fire, but see, my describing it to you, you have no idea what it was like because you weren't there, okay? You need to go out and experience it in order to really know what corporate prayer is like, okay? Just like kayak, you know, when I'm by myself in a kayak, it's, a, it's an experience, but when I'm with my wife in a kayak, I, I go faster, you know, uh, you know, my rowing gets reinforced, uh, you know, the company there, you know, in the kayak, so the experience is completely different. And same is true between single prayer by yourself and also corporate prayer, okay? Just like I talked about in my first sermon, right? We like to have individual conversations with people, but it's also, if you have a family especially, it's nice to have family conversations. You want both of them. You don't want just one of those experiences, right? because both of them kind of fill out the experience of life. But here's the thing about corporate prayer, okay? And this is the thing uh, with actually a lot of things in life. Doing corporate prayer once uh, or doing it occasionally that's really not going to get you anywhere with corporate prayer, okay? Corporate prayer is the kind of thing that you can, uh, that can only really, that you can only really begin to understand the more you do it. You know, the first time, first time I went out kayaking uh, on my kayak, you know, I experienced certain things, you know, and, and I learned certain things, okay? But it wasn't until I went out over and over that I began to see how deep the experience of kayaking can go and the nuances that are involved in the sport. And learning those things over time has increased not only my ability, but also my enjoyment of it. You know, the first time I went out uh, on the kayak, uh, I was kind of stressed out. 
uh, because, you know, I had to really think about what I was doing. It was a new thing. I had never done this before, so I had to really think about what I was doing. Even when I was just launching the kayak off the little pier, I was like, I was looking around like, are people watching me? Am I even doing this right? Is there some kind of kayak etiquette that I'm like violating here, right? Uh, and I was stressed out. Okay? And then when I got into the kayak, I was like, uh, am, I, am I sitting right? Am I, am I paddling right? You know, how stable is this thing? Am I going to drown? Are my kids going to see me, right? Just all that stuff was going through my mind. And then finally, at the end, as I was coming back to the shore, uh, when I started approaching the boat launch, I was like, oh, this is, this is a little bit harder than I thought. Because, you know, I was drifting a little to the left, you compensate, and you start drifting a little to the right. You're like, oh, I'm going to miss this thing, right? Uh, and I was like, if I miss this launch, I'm going to look like an idiot in front of all these people. I actually saw two people miss the launch earlier, and I thought to myself, wow, they look like idiots. And so that's a real possibility that somebody would think about, that me, think about me like that. Anyway, over time, you know, all that kind of melted away as I got more experience. Uh, and I was finally able, as I gained more and more experience by going out over and over again, I was finally able to be in the moment as I glided across the water. Okay? And as that happened, my enjoyment of kayaking increased dramatically. You can also think about it like this. So, when I started getting back into working out at the start of the, this year, uh, and I only do that not to whatever, and there's no one to press anymore, right? Uh, just I want to stay alive. So, I, <laughs> I started working out at the start of the year, you know, being 45 and all, uh, and the first workout was terrible, right? I felt weak. I'm like, Kewan, you suck, right? Uh, I was exhausted by the end of the workout, and afterward, I felt nauseous. And just lousy. I just felt really lousy. But as I knew from my experience in the past, because, you know, when you're younger, you try to work out to impress girls and things like that. As I knew from my experience in the past, when you work out, it's only when you come back and do it over and over that you begin to see the benefits. Right? And once you start making gains, right? And once you start uh, getting stronger, and once you get into a rhythm, okay, you start feeling fantastic after your workouts, not miserable. You know, if I work out just once, or once you know, every few months, right, and I say to myself, well, that sucked, now I'm just sore, and I just wasted my time, right? If that's my attitude, and I don't make it a regular thing, I will never know or experience the joys and benefits that come with regular physical exercise. Brothers and sisters, the same is true with corporate prayer. If you come out to corporate prayer just once, most likely you're going to be like, well, that was awkward. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's going to be your first impression. Well, that was weird, right? But as you persist and persevere, that's when you're going to start seeing its power and its beauty and its joy. Like kayaking, okay? As you come back over and over, you're going to be less distracted because you're gaining experience. And you're going to start seeing the impact it can have on your heart and on the community. And you're going to start noticing certain nuances and dynamics that you didn't see before. And the more you plumb its depths, right, 
the more you're going to have these little breakthroughs. Okay, and the more you're going to see why corporate prayer is not only beautiful, but why it is also so necessary. Several years ago, uh, there was a moment where praying for other people finally clicked for me. Uh, you know, at retreats, right, when, when uh, people come up to receive prayer during worship, uh, that's just something that pastors are supposed to do, right? Pray for people, you know, at times like this. Well, this is going to sound terrible coming from a pastor, but I didn't like doing that. Always, the thought, that, <laughs> the thought of it, right, the thought of praying for people at these retreats or even, you know, after service, the thought of it just made me so tired, Okay, and the reason uh, it had that effect on me was because when I thought about praying for people, uh, the thought that would always go through my mind was, what possible use are my prayers? I'm just not as gifted in prayer like some of these other Christians. I'm just not that, you know, that would always go through my mind. But despite how I felt, I, I did it because that was my job. I mean, think about having a pastor who refuses to pray for you, Right? I'm going to be out of a job very quick. So it was my job. I'm like, okay, I'll pray for you, right? Uh, well, after years of doing this, uh, one day as I was praying for someone, suddenly I felt alive. Uh, and I started feeling a genuine longing to see God working in this person's life. And I started sharing words that were bubbling up in my heart. Okay? And as that was happening, as that was, this new feeling was happening, I, I, I felt so encouraged that God was using me. And when the person that I was praying for received those words and it really spoke to them, they were encouraged. And when all this happened, I was like, I love praying for other people. And ever since then, most of the time, because there are still times when I'm tired, right? But most of the time, praying for people is not a chore for me anymore. I look forward to it. I'm excited to do it. But see, it took time to get there. It took repetition. It took failures. It took experiencing the ins and outs and the frustrations of corporate prayer to finally start grasping its beauty and its nuances and its fruits. In his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul writes this. He says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What I can promise you is that there were moments that these people did not want to rejoice or give thanks or pray because they're human beings, okay? But Paul says, regardless of the circumstances, okay, that's why he writes, in all circumstances, regardless of the circumstances, these things are God's will for us as believers. That's what he says. These things are God's will for us as believers, praying continually. Is God's will for us regardless of our season and regardless of how we feel, okay? And he's writing this letter to the corporate church body, not to individuals. So praying continually as a church body is God's will for us. And Paul knows from his own experience that through this continual and persevering prayer, we are going to taste and see more and more of the goodness of God. He's not saying pray continually like it's just something that we're supposed to do as Christians. Oh, this is just something that Christians do. No, he tells us to do this because he knows it is in this way 
that we will be sustained through all of our circumstances. And it is in this way that we will grow in the knowledge of God. And I might add, in fact, it's actually when things are good, right? It's, it's during good circumstances that we are in the most danger of complacency, that we are in the most danger of relying on our own power and not praying, which is actually the most dangerous place we can be. So all circumstances, good and bad, Paul is saying we must be praying together continually, all the time, everywhere, in small groups, over the phone, over Zoom, during worship, at meetings, on missions, with your friends. And as we do this, we will see and experience God through corporate prayer, and we will grow in it and begin to understand it more and its nuances, and we will find power and rest in it. In today's text, Paul says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the amen, amen, is spoken by us to the glory of God. When you look in the, in the Old Testament, uh, God makes all of these promises to the people, all these promises to deliver humanity, right? to set things right, to, to give us a hope in a future, to reverse the curse of sin, and so on, right? God gives all these promises in the Old Testament. What Paul is saying is that in Jesus, or it, what Paul is saying is that Jesus is God's yes to all those promises. All those promises come true in Him. Now, if we take a moment to think about it, okay, if we take a moment actually to think about the things that we pray about, as Christians, as people, right? If we take a moment to think about the things that we pray about, at the end of the day, almost all the things that we pray about are some variation of one of the promises of God, right? When we want healing, what is that? That's reversing the curse of sin, which God promises. When we ask for the end of suffering, that's the same thing. When we ask God for provision in our lives, that's God's promise to give us a hope in the future, in light of the fact that our prayers are, in fact, just rehashing of the promises of God, John Anuchekwe writes this about prayer in his book. He says, in a sense, then, prayer is saying, are we there yet, God? Please bring about the things that you promised you would. We already have God's yes to all of His promises in Jesus. Okay, prayer, prayer alone and corporate prayer, okay? Prayer is simply asking Him to make that yes unfold in our lives. In fact, corporate prayer, more often than individual prayer, takes on that characteristic. When the people of God come together to call out to Him, almost always, right, we are calling on Him to act redemptively in our midst, to follow through on His promises to us. Now, why am I bringing this up? What's the point? When you hear that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ, deep down inside, when you hear that, okay, if you're like me, you're probably like, what does that even mean? 
right? How is that true? I mean, you know, I see how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, but how is that yes being realized in my life? Here's what I've discovered. The more that I've jumped headlong into prayer, the more I've interacted with God on my knees and conversed with Him and argued with Him and called out to Him about His promises, the more that I've done all of that, the more I've been able to discern the yes of God in my life and in this world. As I pray more and more, that regular interaction with God has helped me to discern and to see what the yes of God actually looks like and feels like in my life. See, as you go deeper into prayer, what begins to happen is you begin to sense His presence. One of the brothers just testified that to me. As he started getting more and more prayer, he, you start to begin, you begin to sense His presence, okay? And you start seeing the Spirit acting on your heart and weaving and moving in your life. I mean, He's always been doing that, but you're beginning to see it now more because you're praying and you're communicating with Him. And the more you pray and spend time surrendered in His presence, you get to a point where you realize that in Jesus, His promises are to us, in fact, always yes. Okay? But yes in the best possible way. I love how Megan Hill puts it. She wrote a fantastic book, a little book on prayer. She writes this, It is correct to think of all, God, all God's answers to our prayers as either yes or let me give you something better. So when my daughter, Peyton, was about seven or eight years old, um, that's seven or eight years ago, uh, she wanted to quit piano. Uh, she wanted to quit piano lessons. Uh, and she told me she was going to tell Aton, who's her piano teacher, that she couldn't do it anymore. Uh, but as, I, as her dad, I told her no. Okay, I told her that, you know, at least for now, I wanted her to keep at it. Okay, and I explained to her that if she kept at it, there would actually come a point where she wouldn't regret it. I tried telling that to a seven-year-old, right? But I, I told her that. Now, my goal was never to make her some kind of prodigy or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm actually not a tiger dad. And that wasn't my goal. Okay? I just really wanted her to learn the joy of music, right? And to have the skills to be able to appreciate music at a deeper level. I mean, it so enriched my own life. I'm like, Peyton, I want you to have this too. And I tell this to my son Brandon all the time. Today, you know what Peyton says to me? She says that she absolutely does not regret learning and persevering in piano. She didn't believe me back then, but now she does. And the joy that she's been able to have through music, through hearing music that she likes and actually being able to play it, and all the other things that come with music, it's helped her experience, it's helped her experience of life to expand in beautiful ways. See, my no to her back then was actually a yes to her long-term joy. It took time for her to discern that yes behind the no, but the yes was always there. As you begin to interact with God in prayer regularly, you start sensing His ultimate yes 
behind all of his short-term no's and yeses, okay? There is a deep peace and joy. When that starts happening, there is this deep peace and joy that, that begins to come over you when you pray. Because as you pray over time, you begin to see his heart for you. I mean, you see the cross? That's his heart for you. And you begin to see that more, and you begin to feel that inter- interact with that love more, that love more and more when you pray. And the more that you see his heart, the more you realize that all that he's done in your life and is doing in your life is a big yes to your flourishing and to your joy. Okay? And the more you are convinced of God's yes for you in Christ, the more prayer becomes an exploration of that yes. And let me tell you something. The more you're able to see how God's yes is operating and unfolding in your life, the more you start noticing that through prayer, the more you start noticing that through prayer, the more you're going to want to pray. Okay? There is infinite treasure stored up for us in the yes of God. And once you get a taste of that through prayer, you're going to want to explore it more, I promise you. In fact, what you're going to see is that the treasure that you are going to end up wanting to explore the most is God Himself. The more I've experienced prayer, the more I've actually found what I want the most is His presence. Let me close with this. So there's this really fascinating place in the Gospel of Luke uh, where Jesus tells the uh, disciple Peter that he has prayed for him, right? Jesus says to Peter, uh, I have prayed for you, Simon. Simon is his other name. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Okay, this is right before Jesus gets arrested. Now, when you look at the rest of the story, it doesn't seem like Jesus' prayer worked, right? You guys know the story. Peter denies Jesus three times, he runs away in fear, and he ends up feeling like a complete and utter failure. But see, if you read the rest of the story, you see that Jesus' prayer did not, in fact, fail. If you look closer, you really see that. It had the appearance of failure initially. You know, Peter's faith seems crushed, but it's still intact. Okay, and when Jesus resurrects, Peter, despite his shame, he's one of the first to come back. But not only does Peter's faith not fail, but Jesus ends up fulfilling his earlier promise to Peter, and he makes Peter into a rock of faith upon which the early church was established. Brothers and sisters, the Father said yes to Jesus' prayer for Peter. But the way that yes unfolded was different than what we probably expected. When Jesus, you know, when Jesus prays for, prays for something, right, we expect a swift and mighty reply, answer to that prayer, right? We're like, if Jesus prayed for my faith, then my faith is going to be all right. I'm good. Now, in one sense, that's true. Your faith is going to be all right if Jesus prays for you. But actually, it's going to be better than all right. See, The way the Father answers Jesus' prayer is actually by stripping Peter of all the other stuff 
that he was placing his faith in, his strength, his courage, and his leadership. God destroys Peter's faith in all of those things. And after he does that, the only thing that remains is Peter's hope in the mercy of God. That tiny bit of faith God preserves. But see, that tiny bit of faith is stronger than all the other things that Peter built his faith on because that tiny bit of faith was the only thing that was anchored in God. God allows Peter to be stripped down to that level because God wants to build Peter's faith on the only sure foundation in the universe. The point I'm trying to make is, hear me carefully, the point I'm trying to make is God's yes is always better than the yes we're looking for. So when we pray as a church and things don't unfold as we think they should be unfolding, that's not a failure on God's part. It's our failure of understanding and perception. And rather than be discouraged, we need to persevere in faith knowing that His yes is actually unfolding in ways better than we could have hoped. Brothers and sisters, you know, I don't sit here as an expert in corporate prayer, not at all. I'm still learning about corporate prayer. And I want to learn it with you. I love this family of believers. I love New Mercy Palisades, and I want to learn corporate prayer with you. We have to do it together in order to learn together. That's what corporate prayer is. I guess my question, my ask of you is, will you come with me on this journey? I hope you would, because I'm pretty excited about it. Okay, at this time, if we have the, the praise leader come up. Um, we're going to go into a time of corporate prayer, right? This is something that we've uh, established as a rhythm in our services. So, I just have three topics that we're going to go through. The first one is this. So, yesterday, like I said, the leaders, we gathered, uh, and we, you know, prayed about 2021, um, and we said, hey, 2021 was hard, uh, but God was still faithful, because God is always faithful, okay? He was absolutely working in 2021, and He has you know, he's always been good to us, right? And I asked the leaders to try to discern God's faithfulness this past year through the hardship and to give thanks to Him because He has been good to us in ways far deeper, much deeper than we know. So I want, to, I want us to do that right now, right? Let's look back on 2021. I know we're, we're almost done with the year, but there's still a couple months left. As hard as it was corporately, as a church, and individually, if you look carefully, you're going to see the mercy and the grace of God there. Let's take a moment right now, because I don't know how often we praise God and thank Him and, and feel gratitude for Him for what He's doing, but let's do that because He's always acting on our behalf, okay? So let's take a couple of minutes to do that as uh, Jimmy plays for us uh, in the background, okay? Let's pray.
So I had a, this past year, I had a couple little breakthroughs in, uh, in prayer myself. You know, I used to be like, you know, I'll pray a certain amount of time, and then when the time is over, I'm like, okay, good, I'm done. Uh, but nowadays, um, I get to the end of my time, and I'm like, okay, God, I need 10 more minutes. And then after that, I'm like, I still need a little bit more time. And I don't say this as a boast, but just the fact that when you start tasting the presence of God, you want more of that. Uh, and can we pray right now that that would happen to every single person in our church, every person that walks through our church, and for our church in general, that we would become a house of prayer. And when we're in that house, that we would feel so much of that joy and presence of God that we would want to do it more and come back more and, and lift up these prayers to the glory of God. You know, at the, during praise, there's this one line, uh, something about uh, let incense rise day and night. And you're like, what is that weird stuff? That's actually a quote from uh, the book of Revelation. Incense in the book of Revelation are commingled with uh, the prayers of the saints, and they go up to God. These prayers that we lift, they go up to God, and they cause Him to move in history. Can we be a house that contributes to that bowl of incense that goes up to God and causes Him to move? Can we do that? So let's pray. Let's ask that we would experience His presence as a house of prayer, and that we would be a people that pray. Okay, let's pray.